0: Not a matter of if, but when, crisis could rock your world. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real-world crisis. My crisis squad and I seek solutions. We also turn to people who study the past to help us prevent problems in the future. Steve Yark takes us back in time today. He's an accomplished attorney and author. His first book dove into the life of George Washington, the first president of the United States. His latest subject, Benedict Arnold, the man who put the word traitor on the map. Steve is here for the case file. You called me what? Steve, our school days teach Benedict Arnold as a notorious traitor. That's a loaded term. Those lessons were a while ago for most of us. What made Benedict Arnold a traitor?
1: Well, he met all the requirements of the Constitution. Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1 says, essentially, if you provide aid and comfort to an enemy with whom we're currently engaged in war. When he engaged in his treason during the Revolution, he hit all three square on. And if he had succeeded, the entire track of American history would be different. He grew up in Connecticut, and he was an early patriot. He, in fact, helped put together a military unit that marched to Boston, and he ultimately played a key role in the early revolution and won some huge battles, was arguably our best general. But he got severely injured. He became increasingly dischanted with the radical side of the revolution, and he married a loyalist who—it's not her fault, and I'm careful not to blame it on her—but she encouraged him to switch sides. And his plan, if successful, would have decapitated the revolution. It would have captured George Washington, the Marquis de Lafayette, uh, Henry Knox, and Hamilton, and likely would have meant the fall of the revolution.
0: So in this situation, I also understand possibly what helped him also make that switch is he didn't feel supported by General Washington and others.
1: We all think of the revolution now as this monolith where everyone got along, we all hated the British, and you know we all loved each other. But in fact, there was a big split in the revolution between those who were the more conservatives, led primarily by Washington and and his staff, and they saw it as a, a revolution just simply away from the British. The radicals were concerned that what would happen, which is what always happened, that when the revolution was over, they'd make George King. And they had good reason to fear that, by the way. They just didn't understand how extraordinary George was. They couldn't really attack George, so they attacked his most successful general, Benedict Arnold, and he really got attacked. Unfortunately, George didn't stand beside him as much as he could have. Benedict felt very isolated and unappreciated. The person whispering in his ear that he was unappreciated was his wife, who knew, by the way, the head of the British spy network. And so they were able to make the switch... And he was ready to do it because in his world, you either support me and you're with me or you don't. And I'm switching sides and going to the British who seem to like me more than my own people.
0: You know, it's a tale as old as time. You describe this and I'm thinking of the Lion King and the the King Lion and then his brother who became the evil yes. side, it, right? It, the dark goes to the dark side.
1: That is a terrific analogy. He gave in to the dark side. He could have listened to the better angels of his nature, but he didn't. He assumed the worst. And acted on it. And he was a man of action.
0: Right. So we see whether it's Disney, the American Revolution, current day, we see a lot of these same themes. Jumping ahead now to current day, several accusations of treason are getting thrown around and they have been for the last couple of years in U.S. politics. How fair are those accusations?
1: Well, first of all, you're a lawyer and you know this, but for folks that are listening, none of our American politicians are committing quote-unquote treason, right? That is very narrowly defined in the Constitution in Article 3, Section 3. They're not helping support an enemy with whom we're at war, right? right? So they don't meet the narrow definition of treason. And by the way, there's a reason our founders gave us a gift on that, because if any time you disagree with someone— you could accuse them of treason, we would be living in a reign of terror.
0: In fact, every time I can read from the Constitution, I take that moment. Section 3 of Article 3, as Steve describes, the exact words, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war capital W, against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. This is very simply written, actually. Everybody can understand that. You don't have to be an attorney to understand that. Yet that word gets bandied about by legislators, by governors, by senators, by school board members. That might be a reach. But in any event, I'm really glad glad you're good at helping us understand that word today, Steve.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, your listeners need to know that you just pulled out a little tiny copy of the Constitution in a very well-used and flip-through view of the Constitution. we have had of the Constitution. it for years. I love is, that little guy. It is just wonderful, and it's so So It's so cool. I can't recite from print- memory
0: like you can. But-, well, but
1: she's not printing it off the internet. And unfortunately, our politicians are not you. They are not walking around with a copy of the Constitution. They're saying treason. They don't know what it means. Now, betrayal or disagreement or... I think you're wrong, isn't treason. One of my favorite quotes is George III, and I think one of the reasons the treason section of the Constitution is so narrow, it uses the word only. Treason is only these narrow bits of things. Because George III was famous for saying, everyone who disagrees with me is committing treason. But we have folks now that would say, if you don't agree with me, you're committing treason. If you don't obey me, you're committing treason. The fact is, that's not what our framers believed. Thank goodness right right
0: really for those who haven't read everywhere to the constitution i highly recommend it but even just reading you know an article every other month it's just amazing literature actually it's an amazing legal document so what do you think the framers who did build in some gray space and they built in okay we're going to grow as a country they never really could have imagined what we're living in today, but how do you think they wanted us, American citizens and those becoming American citizens, others who are here legally, some who are not, how do you think they wanted us to live into the future?
1: First of all, I think we know and hope when we read Federalist One, where Hamilton says we should engage in civil discourse they wanted us to, as Madison said, engage in the marketplace of ideas, right? They wanted us to have discussion. They wanted us to have disagreement, and they wanted us to reach compromise. That was their goal. They wanted us to continue to grow in that civil discussion, and I think the challenges of people accusing each other of treason would disappoint them, I would think.
0: Right, because they really left the door open for political disagreement. That's so obvious. Without fear or repercussion. That really, in my mind, is what the U.S. is based about, without fear of any kind of repercussion, yet many live in that fear today. I mean, I remind people actually constantly on the crisis files when it comes up in our case files. We live in a country where if you burn a United States flag, that's okay. I don't want you to burn it, but that is actually protected speech, as long as you're not, you know, killing someone in the process or other violence isn't going on in the process. That's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, the First Amendment is one of the great turning points in world history and we meant it when we said it. There's always limits on free speech, but America has tried very hard not to place too many limits. Some of our greatest failures have probably been our sedition acts that have limited what you could say. We have tried, and the great American experiment still continues, being in a room with someone who says something abhorrent and upsetting, but they still have the right to say it. And that, I think, is one of the things the founders would still be proud of.
0: Yes. And and I will always fight for that until the end. You don't have to agree with me. I don't have to agree with you. But we have the ability to say what's on our mind. And here's what I would remind people who are listening today and tell your friends. We have in our case law protections for free speech. We also have consequences when free speech turns into what's called fighting words and violence can ensue. Then there are criminal repercussions. Only then are there criminal repercussions? And that is, I think, hard for some people to really understand and they don't understand that line. And that is what I would wish that people could you know, try to understand. You have now researched for your first book, George Washington, your second book, this one, Benedict Arnold. Has your research on any of these figures changed your perspective of that term traitor?
1: Yes, because I'm more informed than I was. Benedict First of all, absolutely committed treason. My book is in the first person. I want to tell your readers, I don't excuse his behavior. He's a bad dude. But
0: but he wasn't always a bad dude.
1: Right. Unfortunately, he sort of went to the dark side. But he did commit treason. And it, and by the way, when the Constitution Convention was being done, they were thinking of that George III comment I mentioned earlier and Benedict Arnold. They were the sort of mythical folks up on the walls that they were trying to define it. But then they had the wisdom to say not everybody's a traitor. They were so focused also on the First Amendment, right? You should be allowed to say what you don't like about the government. That's okay. What you can't do is plot the violent overthrow of the government.
0: Right. There's a key difference there. Which is a
1: key difference. But you're still not a traitor, by the way, even if you're plotting to overthrow the government, unless you're acting in conjunction with an enemy with whom we're currently engaged in war. One of the folks think about is like the Rosenbergs who gave the H-bomb to the Russians, they were never charged with treason. Why? Because while we were in a cold war, we weren't in a hot war with the Russians, and thus they were ultimately executed under the Espionage Act. Neither, by the way, was Alder James or the Walkers or any other famous spies we've had who most of our common parlance would say committed treason, but they didn't meet the definition under the Constitution.
0: Are there any other political figures or historical figures that you would really love to study more and perhaps base a future book?
1: I know what my next book is. My next book is called "Becoming Victorious," and it's about the horrible, terrible defeat we had at Charleston, and we Washington sent four folks down to fight the best British general who was Cornwallis, and they managed outnumbered 10 to one to get him to chase him into the Carolinas and ultimately trick him into going into Yorktown. and I don't want to ruin it for your listeners, but we, <laughs> but we win the war. <laughs> Right, and we win it at Yorktown, and that story is so unbelievable that that's my next book.
0: Okay, that's the next book. But are there any figures out there that you're just like, I want to dive in, dig in yeah. down I mean, the line? You there's, don't do there this are, to Look, mark. there are
1: so many. Okay, Aaron Burr is someone who is absolutely fascinating.
0: Oh, he's not so my next. Agree. He's
1: not my next book because I want to do a book that's more fun. This ben-
0: more fun, interesting. Because well, becoming uh, victorious is that fun book.
1: Yeah, because because Benedict is dark. You know, he's kind of a dark guy.
0: Yes. And, and Washington wasn't a dark guy.
1: Oh, Washington's wonderful. No.
0: Yeah, no. Right. So you kind of have to go back and forth.
1: Correct. But Aaron Burr is fascinating. First of all, not only because of the, everyone knows about the duel, but he also kind of tried to create a little country in the southern United States. He, <laughs> he was a very interesting figure. And of course, he was vice president of the United States. You just
0: can't make this stuff up, Steve. No. And it's what future soap operas and movies have been based on.
1: But what's the other thing about Aaron Burr is he was an early feminist. Yeah. So oh, despite oh, all these terrible things about Aaron Burr, he was a feminist. So, again, it wasn't just he's the evil guy that shot Alexander Hamilton. Right. He also was a very open-minded, educated Multidimensional. Feminist. Yeah. So he's, he's probably book number four.
0: Okay. Wow. What I am going to predict is that at least one of these books is going to become a film one day. And our listeners can say we heard him here first on The Crisis Files. Thank you, Steve, for a unique look back in time. You can find Steve's latest book. Becoming Benedict Arnold online or at your favorite neighborhood bookstore Today's crisis brief brought to you by Minneapolis Regional Chamber Number one the terms treason and traitor have very specific meanings in the eyes of the law They should not be thrown around casually number two The framers of the Constitution took great pains to define treason and limit it, expressly to ensure freedom of speech and freedom to disagree with people in power. Number three, when the rhetoric gets hot, ask the person speaking what they mean and maybe guide them to a resource to better understand the terms they are using. Suggest they listen to this episode of The Crisis Files for keen insights. The Minneapolis Regional Chamber is a proud sponsor of the Crisis Files podcast. The Minneapolis Regional Chamber is the area's most active business advocacy organization, playing a critical role in top issues impacting the region, including workforce development, education, housing, and transportation. Make your voice heard by becoming a member of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Learn more at mplschamber.com or Google Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Subscribe to, rate, and review the Crisis Files on your platform of choice. Catch up on all case files at thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on YouTube and Instagram at The Crisis Files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files.